Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. The Bible is not a book of disconnected stories, but is one grand story bound together by one red thread. As you read, you may discover historical facts, hear of miracles, or learn lessons of morality along the way. But even greater is the unfolding mystery of God, His plan to redeem mankind and to bring all things back into right order. Even as man falls, God continues to whisper His plan from one page to the next, intersecting our story with His. Man, good morning. Man, we are looking to see our story in his. That is the thrust of this uh, sermon series that we'll be bringing to a close next week, but the story of God. And, and remember, if you, if you recall, if you weren't with us, that's okay in the very beginning, but the goal in understanding the Bible as one story of God's redemption from creation all the way through Revelation, that there is a main theme, there's a main character. It's not you and I, but it is the Lord Jesus himself. And that begins to shape our biblical theology. That begins to shape understanding how we see the Word of God, and then as we allow the lens of Scripture to shape our, our, our vision and see the world, it begins to shape our theology Hey, bump up my mic just a, just a tad so I can speak over the deluge outside. So this grand story. In a second, I'm going to put up a slide and we'll be able to kind of review and see in picture what we've covered and where we're heading. But I'd like us to pray now uh, and just uh, to ask the Lord to move because remember... It's the Word of God that is central in this portion of our time together. It's not, my, it's not Corey's words, it's the Word of God. And we need the Spirit of God to open our minds, to soften our hearts to the Word, right? And so I want to invite the Lord to do that as we kick off uh, our time together. Father, we bless your name. Lord, we praise you for the rain outside as we are in desperate need of rain uh, throughout our state. But Lord, we, we fall on your sovereignty. We fall on your character, on your goodness, on your righteousness, on your holiness, on the fact that you do not change, that you have been the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, that in, in our greatest strife, in our deepest valleys, you are not moved off of your throne. God, we, we bless your name and we need you. We need you desperately. We need you to open our eyes to the text of Scripture today. We need you to open our eyes to this understanding of, of this grand story that you have given us from Genesis to Revelation and how you've revealed yourself through the Word and ultimately through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And even as we 
can celebrate Advent and, and we worship that the fact that Jesus is our peace and that there, there is no peace apart from Christ. And we bless you and we worship you this morning. And I pray now as we go into the word, Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hearts? And would you speak? And I'm praying specifically, and the prayer I've prayed all week is that, Lord, that we as a people, as a family at Point Church, would be a disciple-making movement in this area. For your glory and for our joy. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Nancy, would you flip to the black? Uh, the, there we go. So this story, if you're just joining us, uh, you'll see that we're, we are understanding the story of God in the scriptures and, and four parts or four scenes. So creation in which all things were made good, right, and perfect. And then the fall in which sin entered the world. And the, the big question in all of humanity, in the hearts of every one of us throughout generations is, is there any hope? And we see that there's a whisper, a promise of a, a Messiah that will come and he'll conquer the enemy, the serpent, Satan. And then last, the last couple of weeks, we tackled this third and most, I would say, the crescendo of the story of God, which is the redemption of mankind. And we looked and broke it down into the person of Christ and, and the fact that he was the fulfillment. So in this Advent season, we look and we, we praise the Lord that Jesus, the person, the one that was born of a virgin Mary, that was born, that was prophesied to be the one in which Simeon looks up and he says, behold, like the light has dawned in darkness. And then we see not only was he exactly who he said he would be throughout the prophets, but then the work of Christ that Kevin covered last week on the cross, that it's that work and that work alone that procured the redemption, our salvation. What, what Jesus did on the cross, because he, was, he lived the life that we couldn't live, he died the death that we should have died because of that, and that he resurrected on the third day, we we're able to enter in and be forgiven and actually be reconciled to God. Amen? Like, like that's good news. Really, really good news. And so if you're looking at this story and the storyline of the Bible, it really, there's an arc. And the goal and the desire for us as the people to God is to understand our life when, when, when our story encounters Jesus, so at, at the point in which you were introduced to the person and work of Christ, go back with me. Maybe it was recent. Maybe it was many, many years ago. I want you to go back to the point in which you encountered the living God, Christ. And the gospel was proclaimed to you because, because the Bible tells us that the gospel must be proclaimed in order for us to receive but at that moment, or just prior to that moment, we were created. But because of sin, things have been broken, marred, our inability to be in fellowship with God. And so the story of Corey, that's me, 
was one that was arcing towards separation from God. It was a story that had no good news. It was a story that was, that was characterized by the fact that I was attempting to live my life in accordance to Corey being on the throne, in accordance to Corey's righteousness, and that I somehow, my good would outweigh my bad. Anybody? But when I encountered Christ and the gospel was presented to me and I was able to see by the Holy Spirit's prompting the good news of Jesus and that it was an offer, that it was a free gift as it's described in Romans. That my eyes were opened and that, that I was actually forgiven. Do you hear that? Forgiven of my offense against God. And I'm praying that everyone in the room has encountered that because at what that moment, what happens is our story goes from an arc of hopelessness to an arc of hope. Our story goes from no good news and a terrible, awful ending in separation from God in a place, a very real place called hell to a place in which he has spoken good things over us, as it says in Ephesians, in which we have received all spiritual riches in heaven in Christ, in which it says that I go from being dead to being alive, that I went from being, uh, that, I was, that I was once an enemy of God and now I am a son of God. Our standing changes. And I pray that everybody in the room has that story. And if you don't, if you are in the room and your story is yet to encounter Christ, I'm praying. I prayed for you this morning. I'll pray at the close of our service. But I am praying that today would be the day, December 10th, 2023, that today would be the day of salvation for you. And it may be because, not because Jesus is a foreign person to you or church is foreign, but that at this moment in time, you have yet laid your life down for Jesus to be king of. And so I would just ask, as, as we kind of kick off this sermon, answer the question, have you encountered the redemption of Christ? Because the follow-up to that is, now what? What do we do? And quite honestly, growing up, I've been a believer longer than I've not been a believer in my life by God's grace. But the big question was, now what? What do we do? My question to you is, now what? So, like, you've been a believer for decades. Now what? Well, I thought of some different answers that we might hear in church, right? Now what? Like, okay, Jesus has saved me. Now what? Do's and don'ts? Anybody? Yep. Um, one I kind of chuckled at because I saw it. Uh, CD burnings? All right, just, just pull a full-on monk, go live like in the hills. Now what? Uh, just, ne uh, you know, like this holy, war you just like never stop reading the Bible, never stop praying, just never, I mean, like you are, you are all in forever and ever and ever. 
And then Tuesday comes, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm making light here, but the question is, is a lot of times we're told kind of what's next, but what I want us to do is go to the Word. We want to go to the Word, and we want to see what the Word shows us because in order for our life to come under the story of God, in order for Corey to be able to understand what my life is, I was created, I, sin broke me, I was separated from God by the grace of God in Jesus, I have been redeemed, but now what? And so we see that there's this space between encountering the redemption of Christ and this ultimate restoration of all things in which Jesus is coming back to restore all things. He's coming back and he will claim his church and there will be no more sickness, there'll be no more death, and there'll be no more tears and we will be with who face to face? The Lord Jesus. But there's, there's time. We don't know when that's happening and we're going to see in Acts chapter 1 that even the, the, the faithful disciples and apostles are like, Lord, when's it happening? When's it going to happen But he gives a surprising answer. And so that's what I want us to see. So Acts chapter 1 is where we'll be. The question is what happens after my redemption? What what do I do? How do I function? Because quite honestly, the world is not our friend. This is, we are living in a hostile place. Like in Christ, we are no longer at home in the world. But what do we do? So, Acts chapter 1, I wanted to begin reading there in verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. It's important. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles who he had chosen, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So upon redemption, remember our redemption is not sealed without the resurrection. But he resurrected, and what we see here in the first chapter of Acts is that the Lord Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, demonstrating, proving, hey, it's me, family. I'm alive. I'm not a ghost. Like, give me some fish. Give me some bread. Give me some water. Let me drink in front of you to prove that I'm not some aberration. Feel the holes in my hands. I am resurrected. The grave could not hold me. And he's, so he's, he's communicating, he's teaching. But it says that he's preparing to leave. So I want to cue in on Jesus' final words. All right, final words are a big deal. There, there may be some of you who have experienced final words, maybe from a loved one. We see there's book uh, you know, book stories or, or movies in which the theme or the, the kind of the bulk of the storyline is, I received this final word and I must fulfill it, right? 
Like it all become, it becomes this, this reorientation, this orienting principle in our life because it's such a, a sizable thing. All the more so, the final words of the resurrected Jesus. Because when he resurrected, what he did was he proved that he really is who he said he was. He proved and fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He proved everything to the hilt that he was indeed the Messiah. Therefore, his parting words should be pretty important and high in our lives, right? So what we're going to see today is that in Christ, we are his church. And we're going to get there in just a second. We are his church, Family, we, we are what, what the Greek word actually means is that we're called out. Ecclesia, we are the called out ones. And that we've been commissioned or given a purpose, a task. And by his grace, he's empowered us by his spirit. So he's made us the church. We, we have a new identity in Christ. He's given us a mission. We have a new purpose in Christ. And he's given us a spirit. We have a new power in Christ. So what do we see? This, this first thing in which uh, we're going to see is that we have a new identity. We are the church. And, and what Jesus, what happens here in Acts 1, I'm not going to read all of it because it's just a lot of ground to cover. But he comes and he's revealing himself to me. And he says, hey, I'm about to leave. But he says, you will be my witnesses. Verse 8 of chapter 1. You will be my witnesses, but what? But wait. Everybody's favorite word. Everybody's favorite word. Probably one of the toughest commands in all of Scripture. Wait. It says, you'll be my witnesses, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, that you'll be baptized in, in, in many days. And so there's this, there's this imagery as Jesus is preparing to exit. He's preparing to ascend to do what he tells us in John, that he's going to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. He's leaving, but he tells us, you will be my witness, a.k.a. your mind. What's a witness? Any law enforcement in the room? Any experience with law, like positive experience with law enforcement? Okay, just preface that. Being a witness is really important. And as a matter of fact, like it, it you know, justice is held in the balance of a witness. We see out in the Old Testament, the weight of two witnesses was immense. Because, see, a witness could bear testimony to what had happened. And so when the Lord Jesus is speaking to these disciples and these apostles, these that are really the, the foundation or the pillars of the New Testament church, he says, you will bear witness. You're mine. You will bear witness. So there's this, there's a claiming, but there's also a commissioning you're mine, and you will speak what you've seen. You'll speak what you've seen. But, he says, but wait. But wait. You see, we have been given an identity. 
And what we see in Acts 1 is, is really interesting because the word church or the, the noun church, that's what we call ourselves, that we're God's church, that, that word is not used for a couple of chapters in the book of Acts. But he calls us witnesses. He calls us beloved. We see the believers as they are encountering one another. They call one another brother and sister. And then it wasn't until Acts 5 in which there's, there's no introduction. It's no grand and now we'll be called church. There's just this, this thing in which they see Ananias and Sapphira get struck down and the church was in awe. And it just assumes that, hey, we are the people of God are the church. The witnesses, those who can bear witness to Christ, we are the church. We're the called out ones. And it's really interesting because that's what Jesus does. He's with them. He's proving himself. And he says, hey, you're mine and you will bear witness. You see, he's calling them out. They've been called. And in Jesus' family, you and I have been called out. And that forms an identity that we have. See, hey, if you think back to that little arc, you don't have to go there, slide person. But in creation, we were made to be the people of God. But what happened when the fall came? That fellowship was broken, and we were not the people of God. As a matter of fact, Hosea tells us that you once were my people, but you're not my people, right? But then there's this prophecy in Hosea in which it says, like, you are not my people, but you will be my people. First Peter chapter 2 talks about how we once did not receive mercy, but you have received mercy. So there's this incredible picture of that when we encountered the redemption of Jesus, our identity went from being an enemy of God Back to the people of God, the church. Amen? This is good. And I need you to understand, if you, like, if, if, if you would say, yes, I am with Jesus, like you would, I'm not asking you, but if, you, if I were and you're raising your hand, I need you to understand that you have an identity in Christ as one of God's corporate people, what we call the church in the New Testament. And he has called you out. And he's laying claim on your life. And I need you to hear that. We don't talk a lot about God laying claim. Because that somehow gives him authority over us. That's not real popular in my heart. But in Christ, he's laid claim. We are his. We are his witnesses. We are the ones who did not have mercy but have received mercy. We were the ones that were in darkness and now are in light. We are his people. We're his people. So Jesus is speaking. And next thing you know, it says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed. By his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And I love this next verse. 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, you just imagine the crowd, the disciples, the apostles, just staring into the heavens going, what has transpired? What now? The same question we may ask, what now? And these, it says, these two men stand by them in robes, white robes. These two angels, they show up. And while they're gazing into heaven, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. So Jesus, he's, he's many proofs, many discussions. I am the resurrection you will be my witnesses, wait for the Spirit, and he gives them their commission. So he's given them an identity. You're my witnesses, you're my people, you are the church. And then he gives them the commission or this purpose. If you're in the military, you've received some kind of commission, job title. If you're in corporate America, if you're at home as a stay-at-home mom, you have a commission, and it's to keep those little ones alive. Some days, that's all you do, right? But beyond that, it's, it's shepherding them, it's stewarding them, it's raising them up so they're healthy, and most of all, that they worship the Lord Jesus. Because see, in Christ, we have a job, we have a commission, we have a purpose. It's been hardwired through the blood of Jesus, and it is to be witnesses, to bear witness to what Christ has done. As Matthew says in his gospel, it is to go and make disciples. As the Lord penned through the writer of Genesis, it is be fruitful and multiply. You see, this commission that we've been given, this redemptive purpose that we've received in Jesus is the one, the created purpose that we had in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. See, when Christ came in, in our redemption, it's not some new thing, but it is the return to God's origin, story, plan, and purpose all the way in Genesis. And family, in Christ, that's you and that's me. We are his bride, we are his church, we are his people, and we have a commission. We have a purpose. And, and isn't it interesting? Because the world, I mean, it's just the constant pulse of the world is like, man, what is my purpose? What's my purpose? What, what, is, like, what is the thing that's supposed to make me tick? And I'm just telling you, family, you, it, I'm not, there's, everybody here is especially gifted by the Lord. Everybody here, the Lord has a unique plan for your life, but I need you to understand that there is one thing that is no mystery, and that is in Christ, you have a primary purpose to be a witness. And, and this is the thing, for, and what we're going to see in Acts is that these disciples who received this, it became their north. It became their true north on their compass. It became the thing that they oriented their lives around. Because it was core to who they were in Jesus. It was what they had received in Christ. And it's no different today. It's what you and I have received in Jesus. We have a mission. Say, Corey, listen. 
You know, I'm not no preacher like you. And that is very true. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, called out once, who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, it talks about being priesthood. What's really interesting here, he's writing to Jews, but they're they're writing to the dispersed Jews that are all over the world at this point because of persecution. And he says that you're a royal priesthood. And for a Jew, that might make some sense. Like, oh yeah, I kind of know what a priesthood is, right? There's like this ministry. There's a a role there. Quite honestly, in in the Old Testament, that was an office to be a priest. That was something that you didn't sign up for, but it was given to you, right? But here in in 1 Peter, he's speaking to the church, the New Testament church, and he says that you are a royal priesthood. And so what I want to help you understand and, and what I long for our church to understand and embrace is that the notion of ministry, whether it's the ministry of proclamation or making disciples, is not for the select office of pastor, minister, whatever you want to call it. Because what Peter is, t- what, we're, what we're seeing is that there's actually a ministerial role and calling on every person who's new in Christ. And so what that means is, and we see this in Ephesians, that, that those, those leaders, those, those office of pastor and leader are there to equip the people of God, the saints of God, as it says in Ephesians 4, for the what? For the work. Somebody said it, I think. Or I'm just, Miss Ann said it. For the work of ministry. Family, as the people of God, we have been called out and we've been commissioned. And it's for the work of ministry. Okay, it's for the work of ministry. What is that work of ministry? Matthew tells us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So there's this image of declaring the gospel. Because the gospel must be preached. The gospel must be communicated for people to receive it. Okay? There's people, I've heard incredible stories all over the world. My dad actually, there's a story in which he was in a village in China that was completely unreached. And so they're like four white men in a place that has never seen white men. And there's kids that are just pulsing at them like, hey, what you new person, who are you and why are you here and do you have anything? And there's one old man that's leaning against a wall and is just watching them. And so they walk up, and, or he comes and he greets them, and uh, <laughs> he says, hey, what are y'all doing here? And they said, well, we're just exploring the, the landscape. It's kind of the, the missionary cover, if you would. We're just, we're exploring. He said, I don't think that's why you're here. And the translator said, um, well, why, okay, why do you think we're here? He said, I think you're here to tell me something. And he's a six-year-old man. He said, for the first 30 years of my life, I believe there was no God. He said, for the last 30 years of my life, I believe that there is a God, and I've been waiting 
for somebody to come tell me about him. The gospel was preached. And that man received the good news, the redemption of God. His his story went from one of hopelessness to a story of hope because of Jesus. And what did he do? Listen, this is incredible. Because this is like like our text of Scripture in real time. He immediately takes these ones that bear good news and he brings them to their house and he cooks a meal. They kill the chicken, they cook a meal, and they say, now tell my wife and kids. Just like when Peter in the next chapter is preaching and the crowd pulses out, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized. Turn from the crooked generation. And it says, and 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. To what number? To the called out one's number. The church. Why are we dedicating the month of December to giving to our all nations giving? Not so that we can check some box. Not so that we as a church, as an organization can impress some agency that sends missionaries. But because it is a part of our DNA as called out ones. There, is a, there should be a pulse in us that is we must go. And if we cannot go whether it's health-related or you're in the middle of your career and the Lord has not spoken, go yet. We give and we pray and we send teams and we raise up missionaries from within our own and send them out. That is why, because the heart of God is for the gospel to go, not to just Jerusalem, not to just our Cameron, not to just our Fayetteville, not just to our state or our nation, but to the very ends of the earth. And I I would just encourage you, I know there is many military in the room in which you do what our government encourages and pays you to do with great force, and we're grateful for that. But what I do want to encourage is for us as a military community, if you're not in it, you're attached to it in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just here at point, let's not allow the geopolitical, and even our, our, our efforts as servicemen and women to fog the fact that at the end of the day, there is a great commission pulse in Christ that wants to take the gospel to people that may want to do really bad things. There is missionaries that are doing things in closed countries and in places that are incredibly hostile to Christians and incredibly hostile to Americans, and we praise God for that. So uh, this is not anti-military. This is just, hey, remember, what is our number one prioritization? What is the thing that we orient our lives around, even as the military men and women and spouses? We orient around the Lord Jesus. We can do our work with excellence. We can be really good at our work. But number one, most of all, is that the Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning and leading. Amen? We've been called out. We've been commissioned. And the last thing I want us to see is that we've been given a power. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, Christ himself. 
So he tells us to wait, and then in chapter 2, and he says wait, and they do that, they wait, but I want you to cue in on how they waited. For the remainder of the chapter, it says they waited and they prayed. You see, here's our biggest issue. This is a, like, this is a freebie. Here's our biggest issue with waiting is that we're not praying. My, big, my biggest issue with waiting is that I don't typically pray or it's hard for me to pray in those moments. And so what happens when Corey's prayerless in his waiting? You better believe it. But I roll my sleeves up and I get to work trying to dig myself out of whatever hole I'm in. Anybody? Yeah. It's me. The Lord Jesus says, wait. And what did they do? That They prayed. They gathered and they prayed ceaselessly. They prayed. They were ceaseless in their prayers. And then in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together. Pentecost was a familiar thing. It was a part of their ritual. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And it goes on and talks about how all these places from which these men and women were and how they were hearing the good news of Jesus in their native tongue, from men of Galilee. Okay, listen, this is a wild text of Scripture. I don't know what tongues of fire is. I'll be real honest with you. But the point is, is that the Lord in his perfect timing sent his spirit, the third person of the Godhead, down to earth. And he filled his people, his called out ones, who he's commissioned and now he's empowered. And I want you to see what the heart of God does in this. And we see the heart of the nations of God in this text. Because what happens? But people who were from the literal ends of the earth as people in Galilee knew it. Are there present? And what happens? But they receive the Holy Spirit and they hear the good news in their native tongue. So imagine we're all English speakers and there's somebody from a foreign country that has never heard the gospel and they hear me preaching, but instead of hearing English and just it being completely, like, like they can't perceive anything, they're hearing in their native tongue what I'm saying out of my mouth. That's what transpired in Acts chapter 2. And we look at this historically as the inception of the New Testament church. They were called out. They were commissioned. And now they've been empowered. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time, and then we're going to take communion, is I want to help us understand. Okay, so the question was, now what? We've been redeemed. Now what? What do we do? Do we just... Uh, we twiddle our thumbs, I, I gave the list of kind of jokey things, but here, here's what is of greatest threat, is not the silly list that I presented, but this list of basically living out the world's um, ethos or their philosophy, but kind of in Jesus. As in, hey, you, you go be happy. Go do what you want to do. Pursue that happiness. Go be successful 
Go do your thing. Go fill your life up with so much, because this is what the world's doing, right? Filling their lives up with so much stuff that they feel will somehow add benefit to them. They're, I mean, they'll chase whether it's career, relationships, whether it's substance, whether it's just hobby after hobby after failed hobby, whatever it is. They will fill their lives to the brim seeking for that fulfillment, seeking that purpose, seeking that community. And what they haven't realized is that it's all in Christ. But many of us in the room are in Christ, but yet we still live our lives looking for community outside of Christ. We still live our lives looking for fulfillment and purpose outside of Christ. What does it mean for our stories to encounter the story of God? It means that we find our greatest fulfillment, joy, purpose, pleasure, and satisfaction in Christ. Because you know what has simplified my life more than anything? Was the point in which the Lord Jesus said, Corey, be about my work. Now, that, that moment, I was about 18. I, was, I thought I was going to be a teacher I'd have been a really fun teacher. But I did not know what that would look like. I did not know that it was going to be a church planner. As a matter of fact, at 18, I had a a pretty unhealthy view of what church planning was. But he called me and he commissioned me to be about my work. And you know what has happened? By the leading of the Holy Spirit, I have walked, I, I went through university. I did not get a religious degree. I got a communications degree, and I would highly recommend it. But you know what he did? Is he was faithful to lead me in everyday life. And he was faithful to lead me to share the gospel with this person. And by God's grace, that person came to faith. He was faithful to say, Corey, I need you. there's no college ministry at your church. Be a part of that. So we were a part of it. And the Lord was faithful, and he was faithful. And, and all of a sudden, it's like my wife and I, if you don't know Ashley, she's phenomenal. Pray for her. She's sick today. But we met. She was studying accounting, was going to be like the baddest CPA you could be. And you know what I was thinking? Hey, this might work. Like, I'll, I'll be in ministry. She'll be a CPA. Maybe we won't be just like scratching dirt poor as a preacher, right? That was the goal. Until I got back from a mission trip in which Ashley informed me, hey, um, I'm not going to be a CPA anymore. (laughs) Oh, wait wait a minute. She said, I need need to be a missionary. We need to be missionaries. And so we, the Lord led us to seminary in which we studied to be missionaries. And we were going to go to the nations. We were going to go to a place, uh, Lord willing, that they had never heard the gospel. And they said, hey, go to Vermont. So we went to Vermont and the Lord planted a church there. In spite of us, I mean, I'm talking like really, really, really in spite of us. He planted a church. And man, we were so excited. And it was like the hardest moments that we had ever faced and like the best moments that we had ever faced. You know, he was really faithful in the plotting. He was faithful when I thought all of it was coming to a screeching halt. He was faithful when we had some of the hardest losses that we've ever experienced. And we were going to be there forever and until 2020 in which the Lord said, hey, um, you're actually going back south. To which we were like, please, Lord, no. But through the faithfulness of God, 
the call of God and the commission of God. And by his spirit, he is led. And, and, and I, I say all of this to only highlight the goodness and provision of God. And I want to encourage you, you may be in the military. Listen, I love this about the military. They send you all over the world. And you know who needs the gospel all over the world? The people, maybe that's like in your unit, stationed where you're stationed. Maybe it's the person that's working in the whatever you call the cafeteria in the military. Maybe it's that person that needs the gospel. Maybe mom that stays at home and you're, you're trying to figure out schooling. It's that person that you ran into at the park in another country off post that needs the gospel. Do you hear and understand that the, the military, like you guys are one of the greatest sending forces, not just for the military, but for the kingdom of God. Imagine, imagine if we harnessed that and we were able to leverage that Uncle Sam would pay to move you across the globe in the name of Jesus. Whoa. If you're not in the military, if you're a school teacher, I need you to understand that it all rules apply. The Lord Jesus is your reorient. He's the thing that you orient your life around. He's the one. And you teach those kids to the best of your ability. And you, you deal with the, the inefficiencies and the, the brokenness of the school system with the glory of God in mind. And you communicate the gospel. You display the gospel as you're working alongside of teachers and along with your students. And you are witnesses bearing the gospel in the public school system. Do you see that this does not require some kind of ministerial office? But this requires everything that we have in Christ. We've been called out. We have an identity. We have a commission. And he's given us power. And what we see throughout chapter 2, Peter preaches this phenomenal sermon like I said people cry out what must we do and he says be saved and at the end of chapter 2 it's one of the most normal pieces of scripture that we have the end of chapter 2 and verse 47 it says and they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to what to the apostles teaching the word of God they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread they, they had all things in common they lived together, they met at the temple or the YMCA, they met in homes. It said that they're all in wonder, filled their lives. They had all things in common. And look, they had food, glad and generous hearts. Go to the next verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people, like all the people that need Jesus. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. As we close... There are people in this room that the Lord is going to call to radical acts of obedience and leaving, like going to the end of the world to be a missionary or going to the ends of the United States and Vermont. They're, like That's going to happen. There are people right now, maybe he's already doing it. Maybe you've suppressed it for a long time because it's not on your program. But there are people in this room that God will take to the ends, and we need more of them. We need to raise our children up to understand that this is the call of God on our lives. But I want you to hear me 
for so long, that was the only example of ministry that was given. But Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of normal, everyday life in which they were being disciples. What's our vision statement? At Point Church, we seek to be disciples that make disciples in the midst of everyday life. Army PCS life, man, let's, make, let's learn how to be disciples and make disciples. Stay at home, mom. You have a huge mission field probably sitting in your lap right now. Be a disciple, drink deeply of Jesus, and give them Jesus. As a church, if you're new to here, we are a pretty stripped-down program here at Point. Not a, lot of fur, not a lot of whistles, not a lot of shiny, jingly things, because we want to prioritize being disciples. We gather Sunday mornings to to, to dive in the Word, to be together corporately, to be disciples. We gather midweek in small groups in our neighborhoods to be family of God together, to have all things in common, to have food with generous hearts, and to see people added to our day, added to our number, day by day as we're living as missionaries in our cul-de-sacs. We seek to be, to make disciples as we proclaim the gospel, and as we actually disciple one another, teaching people all that Jesus has commanded. As a church, we are putting all of our eggs in this basket. We're banking that the primary work of the church is to be a disciple that makes disciples. And so if you're with us and, and like want to know more, I'd love to talk to you. But that's who we're going to be. And you know what? There are people that we've, there's people that have come and said, hey, this is my thing. It's like, praise God. There's, there's wonderful churches around that look a little different from us, but praise the Lord for them. But it, here, we are going to, by the Spirit's leading, be disciples who make disciples. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.